Hey, welcome to Access. John here. If you haven't already, be sure to download the free FBC Rungi Church app on iTunes or Google Play for sermons, announcements, and important updates regarding the church. Do you feel like you need an attitude adjustment when it comes to evangelism? This is the final part in a four-part series called Everyday Evangelism, where we're going to talk about how our attitude is adjusted when we get a glimpse of how God sees people. This message is entitled, Godly Vision. It's been pretty difficult trying to figure out how exactly um, to close this series. And I think I know how to do it. Um, I think God has revealed to me how to do it. And I think it's just, if we could accomplish one thing, this one thing, I don't think that we'd ever have another problem regarding evangelism or discipleship or worship. I think... If we could just see people the way that God does, we really would take tremendous leaps forward in evangelism. Whenever I was 20, I took a job at AutoZone, which um, many of you know is where I met my wife, Erin. She was my manager. (laughs) I didn't last very long at AutoZone, and, and I think the reason why is because I learned a very valuable lesson about myself. I couldn't stand people. I didn't last long, and I just couldn't stand working with the general public. When people would come into AutoZone, they acted like it was your fault their car was broken down. Like, like I've been secretly, you know, sabotaging people's cars so that I can sell you parts. Listen, dude, it's not my fault. And I just absolutely hated working there because I was dealing with people that were frustrated and angry most of the time, and people that didn't know what they were talking about or what part they needed and and so it's just it's one of those things that just I, I really despised working there and if you're ready for some irony here it comes God saw fit to call me into the ministry <laughs> which I think is almost as bad as my sister joining the military because she was tired of people telling her what to do trust me I, I'm just as confused as you are as to why God would call me to be a pastor because most of the time I just want people to leave me alone I, I just want people to go away and I want to be by myself. I want to be a hermit living somewhere on a mountain with Wi-Fi. I mean, that's what I want. You know, I, I, I it doesn't sound it doesn't sound like I should be a pastor. I mean, the fact that I just want people to go away, that doesn't sound very pastorly, right? People are selfish. People are inconsiderate. People are sinful. So to answer my own question, I, I, I believe the answer is no. I, I, I don't see people the way that God does. I don't know how to see people the way that God does. Only God knows how to do that. See, to God, people are precious commodities. People are the most valuable resource. To God, people are most important. But we are selfish. We are sinful. In our sinful nature, we cheat, we lie, we steal, we kill and destroy. So why would God hold us in such high regard? I I share the same confusion as David when he wrote in Psalm 8-4, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? I mean, why would God be willing to sacrifice anything, sacrifice everything, sacrifice his son to save us? Especially when we show such little regard for each other. I mean, you start talking to people in church, people in church about uh, evangelizing. It's basically, you have to twist somebody's arm to go and do that. Why would God be willing to risk it all for us. You know, we, I believe, in church a lot of times have adopted my AutoZone mentality. Like, I appreciate all the benefits of having a job. 
I just, I just can't stand people. <laughs> and so maybe we burn out, or maybe we don't last very long. I mean, we say we love the Lord, and, and we really don't like working with people. We fall in love with grace and concern for ourselves, but we don't really issue out grace and concern to others very well. We begin to see that inside the church is where we really want to be because it's where you where you find grace and kindness and love and joy and peace and acceptance. And it, and it doesn't look anything like the outside world. And what ends up happening if we just don't have this concern for people like God does is we begin to isolate ourselves from the outside. We begin to isolate ourselves from, from people, the very people that Jesus went to the cross to save. Which just brings me back to the question, why would God want to save us? And I believe the answer to that question is because God has vision. He has vision for us, for creation. God has vision for eternity. You know, we see the puzzle piece, but God, he sees the big picture on the puzzle box. We hold this little puzzle piece and we're like, I'm not sure where it goes. Well, God does. And before we go deeper into this vision of God for people, I heard a statement that I believe is extremely accurate regarding people and evangelism. You probably always heard that there are two kinds of people. Uh, well, you know, this statement says that there are actually four kinds of people. Um, there are people who are saved and they know they're saved. There are people who think they aren't saved, but they really are. There are those who are saved, or who aren't saved, and they know they're not saved. And of course, there are those who aren't saved but think they are. And in my experience. The people that we talk to most of the time and that we deal with on a regular basis, uh, people who have problems and people who need things or people that you talk to about God, most of the time it's either people who are saved and don't think they are or people who aren't saved and think they are. And I think this just makes evangelism incredibly difficult. And we just burn out a lot of times because we just get tired of dealing with people who have half-hearted commitments or people who have their their hearts closed. They're closed off to the truth. And, you know, we're the ones that are required to deliver that truth. But it just gets so frustrating. And I, I think the reason why we're so frustrated is because we take on more of the burden than we should. You know, we, we don't save people. We talked about that a lot. We don't save people. We don't convince people that Jesus is Lord. We aren't expected to say the right thing and be at the right place at the right time. We want to, but we're not expected to. We're simply commanded to be obedient. If God says jump, we jump. And then we ask, was that high enough? I mean, really, that, that's what it comes down to. If he says go, we go. If he says speak, we speak. If he says be quiet, we be quiet. In Bill Hybels' book, Just Walk Across the Room, he says that there was a leader in his church that said, if someone had just shared this message with me sooner, I would have come to Christ a lot sooner and, and instead of making all the mistakes I made in my life. But I couldn't disagree with that statement more because the truth is, is that we don't save each other. And if, and if you had heard that message sooner, you wouldn't have listened because God's timing is always perfect. And who's to say you didn't hear that message and you just didn't, you didn't understand it? Nothing can be further from the truth. We don't save people. God does. Another preacher suggested that because of how a person has lived their life, that other people went to hell. What an incredible burden to put on somebody's shoulders. I mean, think about that. Like, like, if people, if the only way some people get to go to heaven is is if if I behave well, they're headed for hell. I, I mean... I still fight Jesus for control. I, I, I still fight. You know, the flesh and the spirit are still at war within me. 
And there are times when I'm extremely selfish. There's times when I'm extremely unloving and unkind. I can say things that aren't right. And I can do things that aren't right. You know, believe me, just ask my wife. She'll tell you. Yeah, he can't be unkind. Yeah, he can't be selfish. Yeah, he, he can be unloving. And I think the point here is, is that we don't seek God. We don't love God and we don't desire God. God seeks us. God loves us. God desires us. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So why does God love us? Why, why would God send his son to die for us? You know, we'll probably never truly understand the answer to that question. Not this side of heaven anyway. But I believe the answer resides somewhere in the nature of God. 1 John 4, 7-12 says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who has love has been born of God and knows God. But whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that they that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. You know, this passage of scripture, it talks about some things, and and I, I think it's in, it makes an incredible point here, is we don't know how to love without God. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. We don't know how to love without God. God's in the people-loving business. And to God, people are most important. God knows how to love. And it's impossible to love others until you've personally experienced God's love through Jesus Christ. You may be thinking to yourself, well, if I'm not a Christian, does that mean I can't love my wife? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what Scripture seems to say is that, that, that you know, that without God's love, we, we, we don't know how to love. Those who love come from God. Those, those who know how to love, they have experienced that love from God themselves. And you think about it, the reason why you can't love your wife if you're not a Christian is because godly love is unselfish and sacrificial. You cannot give what you have never received personally. When we do things for other people in the world, it's for selfish reasons. I mean, think about that, that, uh, that saying, wife happy, life happy. What does that mean? It means if I'm good to my wife, she'll be good to me. If, if I'm if I treat her well, then my life won't be a living hell. And so, what we're motivated to, to to you know we're we're motivated to love people, but it's out of a selfish desire. I want to be treated well, so I'm going to treat other people well, or I'm going to do unto others as I would have them do unto me, because because I want to be treated the way I'm treating other people. Now, that's that's a that's a great you know principle to live your life by. But let me tell you something: the world does not know how to love like God does. You know, God says, I'm going to love my wife even if she's never good to me. I'm going to love her. That's a, that's, a, that's a godly love. And this is the way Jesus loves us. And this is the way he loves through us. When we have a relationship with Christ, that's what he begins to do in us. Shows us how to be unselfish. Shows us how to be kind. Shows us how to love. 
And when you begin to see that you get this vision that God has for people, that people are most important, it changes everything. It changes how we manage our time. It changes how we manage our finances, our responsibilities. It changes our attitudes. It changes our approach on how we interact with other people. Romans 8, 19-21 says, Creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What does that verse mean? I believe that verse means that all of creation is waiting for people to love them the way that God loves us. Now this idea we we seem to support about evangelism is that I don't want to put a burden on somebody else. I don't want to put a burden on somebody else. But evangelism is not a burden. It's not a burden. You know, this this passage says that, that people can't wait to be saved. But most of the time, that's not what we experience, right? What we experience most of the time is people saying, you know, go preach your sermon somewhere else. Don't you judge me. Isn't it true that many people that we run into aren't really excited to see a Christian coming? And I can tell you one type of person in particular that rarely gets excited when they see a Christian, <laughs> or a group of Christians for that matter. And that has to be a waiter or a waitress. <laughs> Waiters and waitresses really don't want Christians at their table. And there are good reasons why. For starters, Christians can be really cruel and they can be really rude. From sending food back, to snapping at the staff, to acting very ugly when they make a mistake or they take too long. What's taking so long? And instead of praising them for their service, you know, like like giving us the example of service that we should follow, we should be waiting on others, not for money, but just because of, of God's love. Many Christians look down on waiters and waitresses and treat them like trash. Also, Christians can stay at the table for way longer than they should. You know, it makes sense. We like to go eat with other families after church, right? And since this is probably the only time that we're going to see each other until next week, let's enjoy ourselves and fellowship a while. But we seldom take into account that that's how waiters and waitresses make their money. While we sit back and rub our full bellies and pick our teeth and we talk, they aren't serving other people who could be sitting at our table and making more money. You know, we have to be considerate of the people that we come in contact with. You know, it wouldn't be so bad if, if we sit at the table for so long if we weren't so terrible and guilty of this third point. You know, uh, we we don't like to tip. <laughs> and if we tip, it's usually, uh, you know, under what the standard is. You know, there was an article uh, uh, where a waitress went back for the check after a group of Christians left. On, on And on the check, she noticed that, that the tip was only r- around about 2%. And at the bottom of the check, it, there was a message that was written out for it. It said, if, God gave, if I only give God 10%, why should I give you more? <laughs> well, doofus, let me explain it to you. First off, you give God 10% of your entire income. And that's not what these waiters or waitresses are asking for. If they have served you well, let them know. You know, and I, I personally believe that if somebody is that stingy with their money, they're probably not taking, you know, that, that 10% out of their check and giving it to God. And let me ask you this question, because I think this is the more important one. Why would a person want to be a Christian if God's people show no concern for their fellow man? Why would they want to be a Christian if the pagans act better than us? 
when you begin to see that people are, are what's most important to God, it changes how you see and interact with them. Waiters and waitresses, they should be fighting over each other for the opportunity to wait on a Christian. Because instead of a rude and ugly behavior, they should experience uh, encouragement and patience and, and compassion and, and, and understanding and forgiveness when they make a mistake. Who wouldn't want to wait on someone who is sacrificial, sacrificial with his or her money because they know what's most important? It's not the meal. It's not eating what I want to eat. It's not even our money. It's the waiter and waitress who may or may not have a relationship with God. Non-Christian fathers should be doing backflips when their daughters bring Christian men home. I mean, because who wouldn't want their daughters to marry a man who's always faithful and always loving and always dedicated to provide? Someone who is making a genuine effort to be the best husband and father possible. Non-Christian employers should trip over themselves to hire a Christian because they want honest, hardworking employees who are full of integrity. Someone who won't steal from them and, and, and someone who's trustworthy. People should be excited to see a Christian coming. But they aren't. Why do you think that is? I think it stems from the mentality that we hate working with the general public. We don't see people the way God does. So what do we do? Well, I, I've spent a lot of time trying to do better, and I don't think that's the answer. Because I try harder, and I just seem to feel more and more selfish. Like, I'm trying to serve them, and they're not responding the way, Ah, why am I even doing this? The answer is not to try harder. We don't go out there and make an effort to change the stereotype of Christians. No, that's not going to work. I think the only answer is when we turn this over to God. We pray about the way other people see us and have stereotyped us. We pray about how we want them to see us. We pray about how, how God, like, the way that we see them and ask God to change the way that we see people. We pray for an opportunity to turn those stereotypes around. We pray for the strength to surrender to God's plan and to treat people the way that He wants us to. Do you want to know how to get a group of people fired up about sharing God's love? I believe I have the answer. I know every single pastor in the world wants to know the answer to this question, but I think I, I know what it is. The only answer to get a congregation fired up about reaching the lost is to get the congregation to actually read and study their Bible. The Bible does all the heavy lifting. The more that you study your Bible, the more you get a picture for how God sees us and how God works with us. The more you study your Bible, the more your heart is transformed and shaped into God's. We have to stop filling up on worldly things if we want to make a difference in the world. We need to fill up on, on, on Scripture. We need to fill up on God. And what, what, what can happen when we do that is God just overflows from us into our relationships. We have surrendered our lives over to God to be transformed by Him. Transformed into what? Well, Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed into the likeness of His Son. God wants to transform us into His Son. People want to be saved, and they only get saved when they get a godly vision for their lives. God, I, 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 I don't want to be on drugs anymore. 
God, I, I, I don't want to be struggling financially anymore. God, I want a healthy marriage. God, I want a great relationship with my family. God, I want a great relationship with my kids. God, I don't want to be this way anymore. And guess what? We help deliver that vision. When God gets a hold of our lives and we begin to see them the way that he sees us, the way that he sees us, we begin to deliver that vision to other people. Wow, you're 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 not rude. Wow, you're that was a big tip. Wow, you seem to issue out forgiveness and grace like like it's like it's free. Wow, you have something that I don't. You know, when I, if I were God, <laughs> I wouldn't have saved me, and it doesn't make any sense. But you know, when God saved me, He didn't see the person I was. He saw the person he was trans he was going to transform me into. And you know what's funny is that I want, I want to be like Christ. I really want to. Because Christ is a boss, man. God, God knows how to do life. Christ knows how to do life. I want to be able to keep my mouth shut before my accusers like Christ did. How did he do that? I mean, think about that. You're being accused of all kinds of things that aren't true. But he kept his mouth shut knowing that it wasn't true. Man, that's class. <laughs> I want to be like that. I want to show genuine concern for the man that gets his ear cut off trying to arrest me. You were trying to arrest me. No, I'm not going to help you out. But Christ did. I want to be like that. I want to issue out forgiveness to the one who murders my son. Now, of all the things, of all the things, I don't understand that. Because my son, my children, my boys are most important to me, the most precious to me. And if someone took them from me, I would make them suffer more than I had suffered. But God, he doesn't do that because God, he knows how to love people. And I want to be like that. Remember we talked about Polycarp? And the only reason Polycarp was able to do this was because Christ had come and lived in him. God, Christ gave Polycarp a vision for how to love people. Men came to arrest Polycarp and take him to execution. And he insisted that they come inside and that he prepared a meal for him. And guess what? It didn't have arsenic or x lags in it. That's what I would have done. Are oh, you going to come kill me? Well, I want to make sure you don't make it. <laughs> But that's not what he did, because he had a godly vision. People want to be saved when they see the power of God who can deliver them from slavery and bondage to sin. Vision is what we need. Vision is what people need to be saved. Vision inspires hope. Hope fuels our efforts as we walk into the future. Just like the athlete that dreams of one day winning that Olympic medal or playing in a professional league, we need to dream to be more like Christ. I want Jesus to work a miracle in my life. I want Jesus to make me loving. I want Jesus to make me kind, to make me patient. And I, I, don't, I don't want the desire for more money to dominate the position of primary concern in my life. I want to want 
to be around people. I want to make an impact in Rungi. I want God to get the glory. And mostly I want these things because they're nothing like me. And I see where I get me. I see where my mentality, my auto zone mentality takes me. I don't want that. I've had enough of me. I want Christ. When God revealed himself to me, I was a drug addict. But he didn't see a drug addict when he looked at me. He saw a pastor. He saw an author. He saw a, a godly spouse, a godly parent. God saw someone who could love his enemies. Now imagine if when we looked at people, that's what we saw. We don't see the town drunk. We see our pastor in three years. <laughs> we don't see a cocaine addict. We see our future youth pastor, which, by the way, that's a true story. God wants to work these miracles in our lives. But I, I believe God wants us to save Rungi. God, God wants to save Rungi through us, I should say. He wants to use our church to do it. Even with a pastor who still fights that AutoZone mentality. Even with a pastor and a youth pastor and, and, and staff and, and leadership. That, and, and brothers and sisters who, who in Christ who, just, who fight God for control. God wants to use us. Because it's not us doing the work. It's him doing the work through us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 13-15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him unless, uh, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go tell them without being sent? This is what the scriptures say. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers of, who bring good news. The messengers of God. We don't have a burden to share. Well, it doesn't look like you can enjoy the rest of your life. No, no, no. Scripture says we have been blessed with beautiful feet, which is really reassuring to me because I have ugly feet. <laughs> I have hobbit feet. But beautiful are the feet who bring the gospel. We have an incredible privilege to share the gospel. We have an incredible privilege to be the sons and daughters of God that the world waits in eager expectation to be revealed. We get to share God with others. Think about that. We get to show the power of God to the world. And when we get a glimpse of the vision that God has for us, we will. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that the Lord blessed you through this message and that he spoke to you and that you have a clear direction for your life. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. And if you have any questions or comments about today's message, please feel free to email us at fbcrungi at gmail.com. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work. <laughs>